I'm Eric Holdeman, and this is Disaster Zone, a podcast about emergencies and disasters of all types. Disaster Zone will bring you interviews with people dealing with all aspects of disasters, from what causes them to how people and organizations are dealing with their impact. Here's today's program. This podcast is being sponsored by Dynamis, a leading provider of information management software and security solutions. You can find them at dynamis.com. Welcome to today's podcast. With me today is Sean Scott, author and disaster recovery expert. His book, Red Guide to Recovery, a resource handbook for disaster survivors, is a tool that many of you could use. It's been used by thousands of people who put their lives back together after a disaster has destroyed their home. Whether it's from fires like we're seeing in California or the unfortunate flooding we're seeing uh, from Hurricane Sally right now in the Southeast. So Sean, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. And we're gonna be talking about what individuals and families can do to better understand the disaster recovery process, how to protect themselves and get the help that they desperately need. So why don't we jump right in and uh, what are some of the safety precautions people should take after a wildfire. Every night now I see images of people returning to their homes, whether it was a trailer or house trailer or you know a regular home, and just walking through that in flip-flops and shorts and t-shirts. Is that a good idea? No, absolutely not. So in a wildfire environment, you know, the, the combustion byproducts from all the vegetation, the trees, you know, all the homes that have you know, been destroyed is just packed full with just tens of thousands of, you know, uh, chemicals, heavy metals, and all sorts of other toxic um, substances that are in the gaseous form as well as in the, you know, ultra fine particulate side. And what I mean by that is that, you know, your lungs are designed to filter out a certain size particle, like say up to say 10 microns in size before you cough it out. But we're talking about particulate that is smaller than one micron. It's similar to you know, inhaling uh, cigarette smoke. So this stuff is bypassing your lungs and going right into your bloodstream. And this is where it's causing inflammation. You, know, you have uh, people going into the hospitals for respiratory uh, ailments. This is extremely dangerous to people who have compromised respiratory systems, the elderly, the, uh, the young, you know, infants and small children. Really, anybody who has any sensitivity to um, you know, any type of uh, particulate matter or chemicals should never go anywhere near these areas without wearing proper personal protective equipment. So we're talking about you know, all the avenues where these contaminants can enter your bodies, through the skin, through absorption, through your eyes, uh, obviously through your nose and your mouth. And, um, you know, so you want to wear a good respirator with a P100 or N95 filters, uh, Tyvek suit or coveralls, boots to protect uh, yourself, your feet from punctures, and uh, gloves and these types of things. So really taking care of your, your uh, personal well-being and health in uh, post-fire environments is 
I can't emphasize that enough that yeah, you've just lost your home. You don't want to lose your health. Right. And anything okay. you put on your skin, you know, uh, goes into your bloodstream just in a matter of seconds. So it's people don't realize that your skin is an organ. And when you're working and you're sweating, your body is absorbing these things. And these firefighters who constantly are, you know, suffering from cancers, it's not from inhaling. It's from absorption of these toxic chemicals. So be careful. Okay. And, uh, you know, people end up at the scene of their, where their homes used to be. And they're looking for keepsakes, valuables, or they're just dealing with debris removal. What about those issues? Well, I mean, you, you have to realize what has all burned in somebody's home. Say you have a, a vehicle. So with the vehicle, you have a car battery and there's a lot of lead. So you're rummaging around in ash and soot that has lead dust in it, not to mention the acids and everything else in all the household chemicals, pesticides. It's a big soup of um, toxins. Just uh, the bottom plates of wall framing is typically made of, um, you know, pressure treated lumber that has arsenic in it. So all of this ash is far more dangerous than people think. Okay. And, you know, uh, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate people can become victimized twice, which I'm hard to believe that people do this, but there's scam artists out there that uh, take advantage. They go from disaster to disaster. So how do you avoid the scams and the people who come and prey on disastrous survivors after they've lost everything? Well, people need to realize that these um, individuals come from out of town. They know that there's hundreds of millions of dollars in insurance proceeds sitting in this town hall meeting in the form of people, you know, uh, in the chairs. And so they are literally targeting what they know to be the low-hanging fruit, the elderly, those with, um, you know, functional access, you know, needs, um, people that don't speak English well, are all very easy pickings for people who are trained professional con artists. So when you look up the word con artist, it's a derivative of the word convince. So an, a con artist is someone who is an expert at convincing you to trust. So you know, when you've uh, lost everything and you're vulnerable, you're psychologically compromised, this is just open season for yeah. con artists to take advantage of and people. I'm, I'm thinking I want to get back on my feet as soon as possible. Uh, now there's this guy talking to me now, seems really confident and self-assured. And he is telling me that I, you know, he can rebuild my house and, you know, other people are saying it's going to take nine months, 10 months. He says he can do it in six months. He's got the crew. He's got the tools. He's got the experience. And all he needs is what? $50,000 down or something like that. I don't know how yeah. that works. And that's the sad thing is that, you know, this happens every day with or without a disaster. Only on during disasters, it's done on a much wider scale. And these people are vulnerable. Anybody who tells them what they want to hear a lot of times they'll fall for it because a lot of the tactics that they use, these con artists and scammers are fear tactics. Hey, if you don't 
sign up with me today. I've got 10 of the people and you're, you're never going to find a contractor. You're out in the middle of the boonies, you know, good luck. And so people feel pressured that they need to act quickly. And that's the beginning of being victimized. Okay. And what about this aspect that recovery is a marathon, not a foot race as, as part of this? I mean, there's that urgency we feel, but how do we, you know, get around that and understand this is going to be a long haul process? Well, for these people, you know, that have, have good insurance, you know, the insurance companies don't want to pay out more than what they owe. And so it takes a lot of time to uh, compile re replacement cost estimates for the dwelling, the inventory of all the personal property. You know, sometimes it takes six months before you actually get a reasonably close number. And then there might be some fighting, you know, where you've, you've been lowballed by your insurance company. And now you have to hire an expert consultant to give you additional estimates. So these, uh, these properties, you're going to see people to in some cases, three years out before they'll be rebuilt. Okay, and you know, the, the best time to try and do your inventory that you're talking about is now when nothing's destroyed. Right. Uh, when we were getting ready for the show, uh, you mentioned, I want to say it's called Matterport, but maybe you can spell that, pronounce it better than I am scanned. What, what is that? So um, my son has a company, it's called Virtual Imaging Services, and he uses what's called a Matterport camera. A Matterport camera takes um, 4K images of in, internal spaces, you know, and it basically stores this data in the cloud. And it's like taking a virtual walkthrough through a, a house or a property. Um, it's extremely clean and clear, crisp. Uh, the detail is amazing. Um, it documents, you know, everything that, you know, you own in the home as well as it dimensions the rooms, the sizes. Okay, so, so do you open up your closet type of thing? And Yeah, you'd open up, you know, your closets to be able to, to get, you know, uh, images of what's in there. But now for inside of drawers and cabinets, in those situations, you need to take a, a photograph with like your cell phone for, for um, those little small spaces. Okay. But, you know, if you have nice furnishings and that, that'll document all those types of things. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Right. right. Okay. And, and, well, we're not necessarily going to contract with your son. How do we find a company that does this where anybody well, across okay, the United so, States is living? You know? Yeah. So uh, you can go to the, the website for the camera manufacturer is Matterport, M-A-T-T-E-R-P. P-O-R-T, Matterport, and they have a database of their certified users or um, operators that can provide you with services across the world. Okay. And of course, the question always comes up in my mind is, well, how much is this thing going to cost me? Um, it, it depends on the square footage of the home. But if it's a, an average home of, say, 2,000 square feet, it's probably going to be under $500. Okay. All right. So not everybody can afford that. But if you have the means, that'd be a good uh, preparedness item to do. Definitely. So, you know, we see these people, they've lost everything. Um, I've seen images of folks living in their cars outside some type of hall where they're getting food. Uh, they don't know if their home has been destroyed or, 
or not, but when they find out their home is destroyed, what, what's the issue with temporary housing and living expenses? Well, in some of these devastated areas, there will be no housing. You know, the hotels, motels will be full. Uh, Airbnbs will either be smoke damaged or destroyed. In, in some of these rural areas, there just isn't, you know, a lot of properties available to rent. So that's where you have a provision in your insurance policy for additional living expenses, and you'll need to negotiate with your adjuster for a fair market rental value. And usually, let's say it's uh, you know $8,000 a month for a furnished home that's similar in size to yours, and you figure at times you know 12 months, that's $96,000. So sometimes the insurance company will advance you that towards the purchase of a fifth wheel or a mobile motor home or something, mm-hmm. and you actually get to keep it at the end rather than just spending the money uh, on a rental, that's one benefit of negotiating the purchase of a, a temporary house for your property while you're rebuilding. Okay, all right. That's something I've never even heard of, so. Yeah. And then uh, you've, you kind of mentioned the insurance claim process, but um, I, I had this discussion with my daughter, um, once it was on car insurance, she said, well, I can get a better deal, a cheaper rate with this other company. I said, yeah, but wait until you have a collision where they have to pay is what I told her. And she didn't switch. Um, so what about that? Insurance well, so th- this is going to be a, a slippery slope because a lot of these people are in areas where they probably weren't able to get conventional insurance like you know, farmers or state farm or you know, one of the big ones, because there's a lot of these companies don't write insurance in, in areas because it's such a high risk for wildfire. So where if you have a mortgage, you may have what is called force placed insurance, which means it's an insurance policy that covers the asset that belongs ultimately to the bank, which basically provides insurance to rebuild the house up to the value of the note or the property. But when it comes to your personal belongings, some people may not have any insurance at all for them. So it just depends on how old the policy is, what it covers, what the exclusions, and it may be a state-funded insurance like California Fair Plan. And those, those types of insurances are very limited in coverage. So it's gonna be you know, interesting to see how a lot of these people uh, fare in the end of it. I'm sure there's California Firestorm. I'm, I just heard a podcast uh, this morning that I was listening to uh, about how in California there was a moratorium on insurance companies canceling uh, fire insurance policies because of all the losses that have happened the last two years. That moratorium is expiring here very shortly. And, you know, if you have a mortgage how, and you can't get insurance or you have a house that's paid for but it's uninsurable, insurable, the value of that house is going to be greatly diminished, I would think. Well, that's the challenge. If you paid your house off and you don't have a mortgage, you know, hunting for insurance can be a nightmare for, for people. So, and there, yeah, go ahead. No, there's no quick answer. You know, they, when the uh, wildfire is beginning, you know, uh, it doesn't even have to be necessarily in your area that the insurance companies can tell the agents, you are not to sell any policies until this fire's out. And all of a sudden, people who are in transition to buy a house or change insurance or got dropped, 
there's none available. The market's, you know, closed. Yeah, it's dried up. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, one recourse is when there's a presidentially declared uh, disaster, there's a portion of that called individual assistance, which helps, you know, individuals and families there. But uh, how does that fit with um, somebody who has insurance on their home or for somebody that didn't or they're caught in this gap, they, uh, they have insurance for the house, but not for the contents? How would that all work? Well, you know, it, it, it depends on what your assets are. If you're a renter versus a homeowner, you know, you have in that situation, you probably have um, better options as a renter than you do as a homeowner. So okay, and what's, what's the maximum that would ever be paid? Now, this is maximum. I know the average is most of the time much less than that, but uh, FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, doesn't pay out. It's about 30000 And that, That's the maximum. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen many times that, you know, it's like the average is 10000 It's a yeah. disaster. Okay. So, you know, uh, unfortunately, um, in most disasters, you're not going to come out better than you were before the disaster. Would you say that's true? Well, in my experience, and I've been doing this for almost 40, you know, 40 plus years. And in most cases, I see people victimized at some level in this whole process, whether they got undervalued on their home or they got lowballed on their contents or they didn't remember a massive amount of things that they should have for their inventory or they got taken advantage by a contractor. There are so many pitfalls uh, in this process that you, you just, you have no idea. Uh, every corner is a decision that could be the difference between going home or being homeless. Okay. It could be, a, you're literally a signature away from uh, becoming a victim. Yeah. Instead of just a survivor, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, last piece I want to talk about is the psychological and emotional vulnerabilities created by disaster events. Um, you know, there's that immediate feeling of loss, but what happens? You know, the fire's out and you're standing there in front of what was your home and there's only ash. Then what? And how long does that go on? Well, you know, everybody processes, you know, grief and loss differently. Um, you know, uh, to give you a little story of one of the, well, actually was the motivating a story that made me fight the Red Guide to Recovery was a, a family who lost their home and they rebuilt and it was a beautiful home. And then when I got to their house for a, a party after, it was about a year and a half after the wildfire, I noticed that theirs was the only home rebuilt in the neighborhood. So I said, you know, what happened to your neighbors? And he said, well, the neighbor on my left got into a fight with their insurance company, lost their home and moved away. To this day, that's a vacant lot. And then the neighbor on my right committed suicide. And when I heard that story, I realized if these people had had somebody like me in their life or a resource that would teach them what to do, what not to do, maybe their, their story and their outcome would have been different. And that's not an uncommon situation in these wildfire events once the news goes away and, and the, you know, they're onto some, uh, some other story, you never hear about the plight of the people who have lost everything and, and these neighborhoods that never rebuilt. And it happens all the time. It's yeah, really, it's really hard, 
hard to be the first back. I know the town of Paradise is, I think, 2017 fires in California that um, a few people have built, but they feel very isolated in the community. They they don't have all at the stores and and uh, social network that they once had been in yeah. literally paradise. I mean, the grim truth, honestly, Eric, is that a lot of these communities will never recover. It just it they just won't. You know, some of these people had their life savings in their home and the property, no insurance, paid off. You know, older you know families, and they just can't they can't afford to rebuild. Okay, well, I, I always say the best thing you can do to avoid uh, economic catastrophe is have insurance. Would you agree yes, with that? Absolutely. And not just insurance. It needs to be adequate insurance for, um, you know, to, you know, make you whole. You know, the agents a lot of times will have a formula. When you go in, you say you have an, you know, X square foot house you know, how many stories, how old, and they kind of spits out a number. But a lot of times that number can, can end up being low. And that low number, you know, um, is why you get uh, premiums that are cheap because they're not insuring you for as much. The more insurance, the higher the premium. But in most cases, people need to have more than what they think because they don't realize how much it costs to rebuild their home or replace all of the contents that they have. Yeah. Well, Sean, this has been terrific uh, having you on the show. So this brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you, Sean Scott, author of the book, Red Guide to Recovery, a resource handbook for disaster survivors. Uh, to find that, the easiest thing to do is just Google Red Guide to Recovery. And it comes up right away for, for me to be able to find that resource. Yeah, we have a lot of free tools also that, uh, that are on the website for people to use that will help them as well. Yeah, beyond the book. Okay. Well, listen, uh, it's been great having you share your experience and expertise and recovery uh, process um, for people who have lost their homes, but more importantly, maybe someone will be motivated as they make decisions moving forward on insurance and other where they choose to live to perhaps be more disaster resilient. So for everybody, a uh, reminder to be safe. Think about how a disaster might impact you and your family and what you can do about it now before it happens. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another Disaster Zone podcast. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's Disaster Zone podcast. Tune in again soon for more information on all aspects of disasters and what people and organizations are doing about them. You can also check out the Disaster Zone blog at www.disaster-zone.com.